Hello there, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Hi, welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and today we have my friend Dr. Alan Wong from the University of the Pacific, from the Dugoni School of Dentistry out there. Alan is the director as well as a professor. And welcome, Alan. How are you? I'm doing great, Dr. Reitman. How are you today? I'm okay, but you call me hacky. Now listen, Alan, you've devoted your life to taking care of the dental patients whose brains might be a little bit different, the neurodiverse population. How did you get into that? Well, it, uh, it's been a passion of mine to always take care of people that are in great need. And uh, this population in particular, both the neurodevelopmental as well as the uh, medically compromised, have always been my passion. Uh, dentistry is easy to get done for all of us, except for this population that often suffer in silence. And uh, so it, it started at a very young age. Tell us about the program you have going there at the University of the Pacific. Well, we have a multiple programs. One is that uh, uh, caring for the patient's special needs has been always a concern because dental education has not had a lot of time to dedicate in its education. So here at Dagoni, we have a special curriculum designed to help uh, our new uh, developing dental students uh, to have more background knowledge as well as clinical experience. So we have a special care program here that allows for the dental student to actually work with patients in a mannered environment so they feel more comfortable when they graduate. Most dentists who graduate really do want to take care of people of all, all different backgrounds, including the neurodevelopmental, but they've never had a lot of hands-on experience, if, if you will. So we have a pre-doctoral experience we have a postdoctoral experience in our residency program as well, as well as a hospital dentistry experience for those that uh, really need to have that additional care that are not cooperative in a, in a routine setting. Now, do you find a generational difference between the doctors, dentists who are training today versus 20 years ago? In some ways, yes. Dentistry has become more complex, but at the same time, there's many new innovations in terms of prevention that has not been sort of uh, popularized. And I think that the newer generations are a great advantage of the newer sciences and research that we have available. So I think that there is a greater awareness, a greater compassion in the new generation. I'm looking forward to working with many of them here at our schools and across the nation in our residency program. Um, so I think the heart is there. I think the awareness is there. I think programs like, like yours and awareness in education in all different disciplines and interdisciplinary, I think that is sort of uh, moving the, the progress, albeit slow, but moving it in the right direction. Alan, you and I met out in Los Angeles when I was lucky enough to have been invited to the AADMD organization, co-founded by Steve Perlman and uh, our good friend Steve. And uh, I was lucky enough to give a keynote there with Tim Shriver and everything. Why don't you explain to our audience, because you belong to so many different organizations that really try to help those of us with different brains, 
Tell a little bit first about the AADMD. Okay. Well, Hacky, as you know, and, and you identify, there are many organizations trying to do the same thing, which is increase awareness and increase competency in taking care of our, our friends with special needs uh, and uh, neurodevelopmental disabilities. Um, the American Association, excuse me, the American Academy of Developmental Medicine and Dentistry was founded uh, for a couple of reasons. One is to integrate both the medicine and, the dis and dental disciplines and being aware of each other's needs and desires to better care for our, our friends. And uh, we are blessed to have many very qualified uh, practitioners in the field of medicine and nursing and, and dentistry to collaborate and find out what's the best care for uh, our patients as well as what can we do for the future. And how can we integrate that into the curriculum, into the medical, dental, and nursing curriculum as well? So that organization does a fantastic job. Where we met at Special Olympics is sort of the center point of how a lot of information has been gathered uh, by collecting data uh, through screening and surveillances to finding out the impact of how, how bad the problems have been, and not only in America, but all throughout the world. So uh, this is not an isolated problem. It's been, been a, a worldwide problem for, for ages, and now we're, we're starting to shed some light in it. Organizations like the American Academy of Developmental Medicine and Dentistry, Special Olympics, uh, Special Smiles Program, and the Special Care Dentistry Association have been great organizations to partner and to uh, bring forth uh, the knowledge, experience, and the attention greatly needed. I feel uh, very honored to be talking to you. Uh, people like yourself have been devoting your whole lives to this population. And here's a journey come lately like me. And uh, I am, I'm going to be lucky enough to be given the Max Bramer Memorial Lecture out in Chicago at the combined meetings of the Special Care Dentistry Association with the uh, IADH. Why don't you tell our audience here at Exploring Different Brains from Dr. Alan Wong's point of view about those two organizations also? Well, terrific. Well, Special Care Dentistry or, uh, Association has always been dedicated uh, to helping advance dental uh, progress, dental information, dental needs to practitioners and better taking care of people with special needs. and. Uh, They've been very uh, good in terms of concentrating on three categories. Those are the geriatric, those with internet intellectual disabilities, and those with children, children with persons with disabilities in those areas. So they've been focused, and they are the foot soldiers, if you will, that bring experience and knowledge from their backgrounds and help educate the next cadre of practitioners. So the Special Care Dentistry Association has been wonderful in terms of uh, that, as well as trying to work on political um, uh, pieces that will help promote uh, research and care and uh, policies that affect those patients. Mm -hmm. The uh, IADH is a wonderful organization in terms of doing the same thing in an international scope with working with people with uh, disabilities of all sorts. And they, they bring a worldwide awareness as well as uh, collection of information. So that's another wonderful organization. Um, Hacky, I can't find or think of anyone better than you to bring this message. You as being a, a fighter of sorts 
to really uh, champion, if you will, this this uh, topic that really needs being brought to light. And we need people with your passion. I don't think of you as a uh, Johnny come lately, but I think of you as Johnny. And any time coming to bring this uh, enlightenment is is a wonderful thing. So we need we need everyone to be like you, fighters with a passion to bring the message forth. Alan. What message, if you had to give one message on the podium to the participants at that meeting in Chicago, the combined meeting of the IADH and the Special Care Dentistry Association, what would that succinct message be? The succinct message is this, that uh, we need to think things differently. It's a different paradigm. Our patients with special needs, we need to focus more on what we call caries management by risk assessment. Many of the problems that are faced with our patients with uh, dental problems are preventable. And if we capture them early and use some of the prevention strategies, such as the fluoride varnishes, and now we have a new method of a silver diamine fluoride that might be uh, something to look at. If we work on uh, the prevention area earlier, we won't have to have patients suffering in dental disease. Uh, so I think we need to all work together in concentrating on more research and the prevention so we can capture our friends at an early age and hopefully uh, help them to not have uh, uh, unnecessary teeth loss so that they can function and participate in society without having to have uh, be silently suffering in pain. So uh, my passion is Let's work together in prevention, and let's work together in caries uh, risk assessment. Well, that that's great. That was a that was a great great statement, because oftentimes we physicians and dentists get so caught up in the day to day logistics of the office, we forget that word prevention sometimes, and that old adage about an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure in the dentistry world, based on my limited understanding, it's a ton of cure. Can you elaborate, and I know our friends also at the Tooth Fairy, um, also America's Tooth Fairy, and uh, the other people all doing a great job in prevention. Could you elaborate on some of the specifics of prevention? Well, certainly, uh, I'd be happy to. And, and you mentioned also another great organization, America's Tooth Fairy. They've done a, a, a tremendous amount of uh, support, and, uh, and, and so I can't say enough about them. They're a great organization, too. But in prevention, it's not a one thing that causes cavities or gum disease. It's a multiple of things. So I think it's uh, in terms of being aware of things and uh, looking for risk assessments, for example, Many of our patients take medications, some for anti-seizures, sometimes for anti-hypertension, uh, anti-neuroleptics. Uh, All those medications have side effects. One of the major side effects is drying of the mouth. And the drying of the mouth causes uh, a xerostomach effect that increases cavities. It, uh, it's all about chemistry. So whenever our saliva is decreased or changed, the pH is, is also altered. It becomes more acidic. And a lot of our patients have multiple medical problems that have side effects that have gastric reflux. Well, that also brings acid to the mouth, and that also weakens the teeth and makes them more prone to cavities. Uh, 
those simple things working together in an interdisciplinary approach and saying, is this the right medicine and what is it doing to the mouth? If we start thinking in those kinds of terms and saying we need to do things to counteract it, either neutralize some of the acids in the mouth to minimize that of the cavity disease process, or that we need to varnish the teeth or seal the teeth at an early age so that they are more resistant to cavities, those are the things that we think about. Not your, your common brushing and flossing is helpful, but it's not what's going to solve the problem. It's really understanding that there's a chemical change in the mouth, uh, whether it's from lack of saliva, decrease of saliva, increase of sugar intake. So the nutritional concept, the, the hygiene concept, the, um, the uh, salivary health is all important things that, that we should be thinking about for the patient. Alan, you know, I've been meeting a lot of people, neuroscientists devoting their lives to all kinds of different brains. And one of the more interesting aspects of this multifactorial process, and there's so many wonderful people, whether you talk to the people in dyslexia or autism or ADHD, PTSD, you name it. They're, they're really, really focused. But to me, probably because of my fresh set of eyeballs to the whole thing, it all seems to be one continuum. One continuum where I don't see a whole lot of things occurring in isolation. Like you were just mentioning seizures. Then we can talk about anxiety, we can talk about depression, we can talk about autism, Asperger's, ADHD, one in 13 Americans with PTSD, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Now, if I'm a dentist in the office, which I'm an orthopedic surgeon by trade, but if I'm a dentist, all right, and I have not received the special training yet, like you're giving out at the University of the Pacific in your university out there with these special programs, how do I catch up in order to get comfortable with working with these adult and pediatric individuals? Well, I, I think you're right, Hacky. Uh, there are a lot of resources out there. The website for the scdaonline.org, the AADMD, uh, .org are terrific tools. Within those are free resources as well as continuing ed courses. And I'm not trying to uh, plug them, but there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, free resources on those as well, just to get comfortable. There's a lot of mentorship, so uh, people that are extremely interested can contact any of the members of both the AADMD or the Special Care Dentistry Association members. And many of us are more than willing to help mentor if they have questions. Uh, in terms of how should we treat, because uh, everyone is unique and everyone is different. And uh, just like different minds, there's different practitioners with different experiences, some good, some bad, but we learn from one another. And as long as you're willing to try, I, I think the adage that the Special Olympics has, this motto that I think is beautiful, is let me win, but if I cannot win, let me be brave at the attempt. And, I, I, and that's my motto that I adopt for me and patients and, and clinicians who want to take care of people with special needs. You know, we should try to take care of many people as we can, but if we cannot, let's, let's be brave in that attempt. 
Well, you you're very inspirational, Alan, and uh, you know, you just uh, you just brought back a lot of memories to me about fear and anxiety, and <clears throat> how some of us think that courage is the absence of fear, and it's not. It's doing what you have to do and overcoming your fear. And I have to tell you, I learned so much when I was out in L.A. with you and. Steve Perlman and Rick Rader and Matt Holder and the whole gang are great people out there. Um, and Fern Ingber from America's Tooth Fairy and uh, Beaky Kreps and all of these wonderful people from all over the world. And I want to compliment you and the other pioneers and the other giants in the Special Care Dentistry Association, everything for all that you do. And I thought that might be a good segue for you to just mention a few of the a few of the real pioneers that you look up to in this arena well you you've mentioned most of them right there uh steve perlman is the top of my list i know no one of greater conviction or passion and he inspires me i talk to him on a regular basis and especially when we're in this field sometimes you feel like you're the only one in this field but uh, it's people like steve that re reaffirm the um the uh, passion and the need for us to be there. So he brings me great inspiration. Uh, all the other ones you mentioned, uh, there's the, the Matt Holders, the Rick Raiders, um, the Henry Hoods, uh, who have been the pioneers in the beginning that were out there yelling, uh, screaming in the, in the, in the, uh, in the, you know, it seems like in the silence of everyone else, but uh, they've always been uh, great pioneers in doing the right things, creating an environment of learning and uh, cooperation, collaboration. Um, there are many other names that come to my mind. Seth Keller's, there's uh, uh, Steve Zielinski's. Uh, I wish I can go on more. You caught me off guard a little bit on, on the name naming of people, but you're right. There are many pioneers before me that, that have sort of paved the path. And I, I think that it's our job and obligation to continue that journey and continue spreading that great word um, and, I, and I agree with everything you said about the uh, about fear. And uh, sometimes we, we don't want to do things because we don't think we're going to do it well or do it right. Uh, but our heart will call us to do the right thing. And I think uh, people like yourself bring, bring light to a dark subject. That's what we need. We need more attention. We need more, more people like you. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, part of my job is to get you in trouble with everybody whose name you didn't mention. You I, see, know. That's it. <laughs> I um, know. Well, we're speaking here with Dr. Alan Wong from the University of the Pacific, the professor and director of the dentistry there at the uh, Dugoni uh, School of Dentistry, who does so much with the SCDA and all the other organizations, taking care of those of us whose brains are indeed different. Alan, I'd like you to touch upon the legal stuff going on ref that refers to, you know, restriction of movement and so on and so forth. And you can give all the jargon to it, but tell us what's going on in that arena. Okay, I'll do the best I can. I'm not a legal legal scholar, but um, in in dentistry, uh, most of us that can. Uh, sit in a dental chair or fortunate sit in a dental chair can give consent and we can control our muscular activity. 
we have populations that unfortunately um, cannot due to uh, syndromes where they can control their muscular uh, uh, <clears throat> control and therefore they have some clonic, tonic type spastic movement. And you know when we're working in the mouth, it's a very small area and it, there's some precision needs to be done. Otherwise, we can hurt things inside the mouth and the patient. So at times, it's important that the patient's stable. But when the patient's not able to stabilize themselves, um, we need to help them. And we need to do it in a very loving manner, not in a uh, torturous setting, but to stabilize them so they don't hurt themselves. So right now, there's a lot of talk about immobilization, or some people call restraint. Uh, we don't call it restraint because we're not trying to do something that's harmful. We're trying to do something that's helpful. So there's different types of uh, immobilization. There's the physical type where you're supporting the head or supporting the, the patient or sometimes wrapping them up in, in, in a, a, a blanket of some sort to help them to stabilize themselves. And it can comfort them at the same time if done properly and if done uh, with uh, supervision as well. It is a very safe technique. There are a lot of people now are trying to argue that it is an assault on the patient, making them do something they don't want to do. And um, that's being discussed in different arenas at this time. Uh, my personal feeling is that um, in done, done in a loving manner, it is, it is perfectly safe and helpful for the patient. The other options is to immobilize someone with chemicals, putting them to sleep with, with drugs so that they're fully unconscious. Well, there are some side effects, not side effects, there's, there's some negatives to that. It's very costly. You have to do it usually in a hospital, and uh, it might be um, uh, stressful on the body to always have general anesthesia. So us in, in our community, we want to be as mentally invasive as possible. So if we can do something that's not torturing a patient and doing it in a very caring, loving manner quickly, we'd rather do that than to put someone under full general anesthesia. I'm not sure if I answered your full question on that, uh, Haki, but... No, you have. You, you have answered it. And uh, it's a very, very, very tough area. It's a tough area, tough decision-making. Um, and do you have the... When it's a child, do you have the parents in the room? Often some, we do. Often we do. And sometimes parents choose not to be in the room because it can be very emotional to do. Uh, if your child fell and they, they, they broke their arm, well, no one likes to see that. No one wants to, to, um, to think about things like that. But bad things sometimes happen. And if you don't do something, worse things can happen. So what's the most um, loving way we can do it and that's expedient, that's in the best for the patient? We try to keep that in mind. So it's, uh, we, we realize that in this community, there is a lot of self-advocacy. There are uh, different, different minds and different thoughts. We try to be re representative and we try to be thoughtful about that very much. And, uh, and I guess the, the, this, the debate will continue on. But, uh, and you use a key word that I made the final aspiratool in my aspiratools book, unconditional love. And uh, the loving manner in which you treat your patients and people like Steve Perlman and the, the wonderful people who are doing what you're doing is uh, extraordinary. But another thing I like to talk about is the neurodiverse 
people, the patients you've treated that you didn't get or recognize as their brains being different. And I said to the orthopedic surgeon, the same can be true in a dentist office, but the orthopedic surgery examples I gave, which I feel more comfortable with, yeah, remember that uh, kid who wouldn't stop screaming when you were using the cast saw to take off his fiberglass cast and you thought it was bad behavior and poor parenting? You didn't know that all of his senses were hyper and that you could have saved yourself a lot of trouble and time in the office if you had used plaster and had them soak it off, as an example, just one example. If you start going through the different types of patients and staff and colleagues were not recognizing how their brains are different. I mean, I'd like to get Rick Rader's brain under a microscope. I don't know what we're going to find there. I don't that know what you'd find in my brain. I got expelled in the first grade and the 10th grade, you know? No. I, you know, um, the, the, the thing that comes to mind, Hanky, yeah, and I tell this to my dental students as well as everyone else, is you need to understand the person before you perform any kind of procedure. And the thing, the classic example I usually give is a uh, patient with autism. Uh, many times they'll call the office and say, do you, see, do you see my child? My child has autism. And some offices will say, well, yeah, come on in, let's try. And the very first thing that we do to a patient usually is what do we do? We, we bring them in the room, we sit them in this cold chair, we put this uh, thing around their head with, and a chain around their neck, a little bib, and then we uh, immediately uh, recline the chair and turn on this very bright light so we can see the mouth. And, and, and that's almost the anti of everything you want to do with a patient. <laughs> if you understand a patient that has autism, every sensory perception they have it intensified. So I usually give the example to the, the dental student. I says, you know, you have to understand the person, walk in their shoe a little bit, and you'll understand why they do what they do. I said, if you can imagine this, if I put you on a very cold uh, uh, metal table that's freezing cold, it's not comfortable. You don't like it. If I put this cold chain around your neck or this bib that has a weird texture that feels really uh, uncomfortable for you, you don't like that. And then if I invert you suddenly and then um, shine this very bright light in your eye, you wouldn't like that. So no wonder the patient that walks into your chair sits down that has autism and then uh, that you do all this stuff, they yell and they scream and they, they cry and run out of your chair. It's no wonder that they're frightened and it's no wonder they don't want to go back to the dentist because now you've created an environment where you create a trauma, and it's so hard to to reverse that. But if you understand the situation ahead of time and desensitize the patient with each step of the way, it may take a couple of minutes, but you will inherently have trained them that this is not a threatening environment. You show them things, let them touch things, let them feel things, and then things will be okay. And if we just take a little time to understand the mind before we treat the teeth, then a lot of things can be really resolved at an early age and they become great patients. I mean, they can, my patients can work my chair better than I can sometimes. So it's a, it's a wonder. That's why you are who you are. You get that. It's about the individual. And Angelo Dundee, I used to be down, work out at the Fifth Street Gym down there. And um, he always said, you, you can only work with what you got. You have to know each fighter.
You got to know what they're about because they're all motivated by different things. They're all different. And I think we as physicians and dentists um, sometimes forget the most important thing is you're not treating a test, you're not treating an x-ray, you're not doing a procedure, you're treating a human being and everyone is different. As my daughter Rebecca taught me so well, every brain is like a snowflake, no two are alike. And I, I believe you're correct. Once you get in that mindset that I'm going to take a walk in the other person's shoes, you could say the same thing you were saying about going into the doctor's or dentist's office. You could say the same thing about any environment to someone with hypersenses. They get told, you're going to love this restaurant. You have to come. They don't want to go. They go, there's a big crowd, there's all kinds of smells, fluorescent lights, they can see the actual flickering, they can hear everything. The people are hugging them, they don't know. So what you do is, in a doctor's office or dentist's office or taking a neurodiverse individual to a restaurant is take a walk in their shoes and do the preparation ahead of time. Do the preparation and once we get into that mold to try to help the individual, paradoxically we make our own lives easier and more rewarding and if you're a doctor or a dentist it converts to better productivity in the office, a better bottom line, better patient satisfaction, better family satisfaction, and everybody's happy. It's win, win, win by using the golden rule of Dr. Alan Wong. <laughs> You're too kind. But uh, I don't know who said it, but you know the phrase, seek to understand and then be understood makes a great sense to me because if I can understand the best way to take care of you and you can understand what I'm trying to do, we can both achieve the same success. So um, I think the, the best teacher really is the patient, uh, listening to them and the, how they react to things and, and saying, well, I, I need to be able to see this. What's the best way we can do this? I think this open dialogue communication the paradigm of the doctor knowing everything and doing everything to someone, we really got to throw that out the, the door. The paradigm's really got to be, tell me how I can help you, and this is what I need to do in order to help you. If we can both seek at the same commonality uh, and do it in, in, a, in a very respectful manner, desensitizing patients, I think we're, we're all there to win. That is... To me, that was the highlight of this whole talk, that what you just said, and you said it so eloquently and so well, that's what it's all about. And it's fun. It's fun, you know? I don't know people having more fun than uh, you and Steve Perlman and Rick Rader and that whole crew. You're just having fun. You're helping people every day, and you're, and, and that's, you know, that's what I tell the kids over at the Boys and Girls Club and stuff, you know? Don't believe society's kind of big lie that things are mutually exclusive. You can have a good time working hard, helping others, making a living, doing good for society, and it's not, they're not mutually exclusive. You can do all of those things, and you're certainly doing it. And I want to thank you for um, all that you do 
and are so dedicated. All of the students you're teaching, all the patients you're treating, all the colleagues you're helping. Dr. Alan Wong, you're great. You're a great one. Well, it, it, I couldn't do it without people like yourself and my, 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 my heroes like Steve and everyone else. It, like you said, I don't think it's a one person. It's, it's really interconnectedness of all of us. And I think we're all here to make each other better and remind each other of, uh, of our role in here. Well, thank you very much. Now, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, how do they go about doing that? Well, um, they can come. Uh, they can email me, and uh, if you want to get if you want to get my email address, I'm very fine with that. It's a w o n g at pacific edu. Uh, you can also look up our website at uh, the University of the Pacific www dental pacific edu, and uh, you can look under special care dentistry or special care clinic. So if I Google Dr. Alan Wong, A-L-L-E-N, correct? Alan correct. Wong, University of the Pacific and Dental, I'm going to find you all over the place. That's good. I hope so. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, talk a little bit about the special, special needs of the um, elderly special needs population. Well, um you sort of identified a lot of things. They have more complications. They take more medications. Their mouth is much drier. They're at greater chances of gastric reflux. Um, often the care providers sometimes uh, get very frustrated that they won't let them brush their teeth, so they stop. Give, they give up brushing. Uh, so they have physical challenges. They have medical challenges. Uh, they have... Uh, gastrointestinal challenges, they don't, don't eat well, they end up biting their food and not chewing well because they don't have enough teeth and they swallow, so they have GI problems as well. Uh, there's a whole host of, it's like a domino effect of, of the systemic and, and then eventually the oral and then eventually the tooth breaks or something needs to be treated and they won't sit in the dental chair. Um, we have patients that have dementia now. You know, we're seeing patients with neurodevelopmental disability along with dementia. And uh, people like Seth Keller have been uh, on the forefront on trying to study this more to make recommendations. So uh, it's not getting easier for our population. Uh, they get more challenges. So that's why prevention is even a greater, greater necessity. Alan, uh, I know you've contributed uh, greatly uh in the literature and publications and to different books and things. Could you mention for our audience uh, some of the uh, publications and some of the books you have chapters in and what that was about? Great. Um, there are a lot of great uh, authors out there, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, uh, Dr. Barry Waldman. He, he's uh, probably my mentor when it comes to scholarly activities. So uh, I've been able to collaborate with him on many articles in different journals, both state journals as well as uh, international journals in dental health. Uh, I've written some chapters and textbooks for the uh, periodontal uh, treatment planning community as well as a, a very good comprehensive uh, book with uh, Dr. Steve Perlman and uh, Karen Raposa on uh, treating patients with uh, uh, developmental disabilities. Uh, I've got a couple of uh, 
chapter articles and hospital dentistry books as well, but uh, those are my basic ones. All right. Well, that's going to about wrap it up for this, uh, this edition of uh, Exploring Different Brains. I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. We've had the pleasure of speaking with uh, Dr. Alan Wong, a proud member and leader in so many different organizations, uh, one of which is the SCDA, but he's also in the AADMD, and he's in about 20 other ones that I don't even know all the initials. But Alan, keep up the great work. You've dedicated your life to helping those of us with special needs and different brains. And, and really, uh, you explain so much to uh, all of our listeners and viewers here. Thanks. Thank you. We've been speaking with Dr. Alan Wong, the professor and director of the Dugoni Dental School at the University of the Pacific. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.